Okay, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. This is going to be a two-fold message over the part 1 and 2 because of the size of the chapter. But today in part 1, we're going to be looking at the very beginning of chapter 9. And throughout the, the book of Luke so far, in, in the eight chapters that we have been visiting, we've been able to witness the diversity of our Lord and Savior. The diversity and, and His ability to multitask like no other. And, and what's amazing is, is that the Bible teaches us about the gifts that are given to us. It, it speaks very um, closely about the gifts that are given to us in regards to certain gifts that are given to us. Some of us were given the gifts of teaching. Some people were given the gifts of exhorting. Uh, some people were giving, uh, the, given the gifts of giving. And, and the list goes on and on with the, the gifts and the abilities of what was given to each and individual person. And some people have more than one gift. Uh, some people might have a few. But nobody has every one of them. And so far, just in, in the eight chapters, as we're going to be venturing in chapter nine, we've been able to see how our Lord Jesus Christ has every gift. It's amazing when I've talked to people and when I would uh, preach in a sermon. I would ask people, what was the things that you seen in the emphasis of our Lord? And uh, people would say that he was into service. Other people would say he's in, he was into teaching. Well, he was a healer. He was here for basically just as a sacrifice. And when I heard those things, what it was, was I heard the outlooks of our Lord. I heard what the particular people, what their particular passions were. Or maybe what their particular gifts were. I was able to hear from those who, who saw the Lord as the teacher, as those who would look at uh, teaching in an indoctrination, if you will, as the emphasis. I, I got to see who the service-oriented people were because they looked at Christ as one who was just, well, he was service-oriented. So we, I seen the particular gifts of those people when they looked at our Lord and Savior. And when, when that was said to me, I says, well, you're absolutely right. Now, the thing with our Lord, though, was is he was every one of those things in absolute perfection. He was every one of those things, which we could not be. <laughs> not everybody has the ability to do the certain things that he's given us to do. But he had the ability, and we're seeing all of those things. He could multitask like no other. And the amazing thing was, is, that he, is he multitasked? He didn't, he didn't stumble or fall. He didn't, he didn't turn anyone away. He was perfect in every aspect. And so again, as we are dealing with you know, uh, interruptions throughout a day, as we might fall short and, and not have the abilities, we look to the one who does. And, and today again, we're going to continue to see that, that diverse ability and, and who he who he is and what he does and and who he empowers and how he empowers them and and what a blessing is always to see those things because we see ourselves in that as well. Gifts are gifts, you know. Some people might look at certain things as something a little more important than the other, but you know, our Lord, who rose people from the dead, 
and yet washed the feet of his own disciples, which was the lowest form of service that someone can do as, as a bond slave, did everything from the highest to the lowest and in between. And so whatever gifts that we have, whatever gifts that we've been given, are just that, a gift. The ability to use it to our absolute best is, is the greatest gift we could give to him. And, and again, that's what he wants to see. Not all of us were brought up to be teachers. Not of us, not everybody was born and bred to be a leader. Because a lot of people purposely stick themselves in those positions where they didn't belong. And eventually it's seen that they should not have been doing what they were doing when they weren't utilizing the gifts and the talents that God had given them. They wanted to be something that they weren't. But you see, God enables, the Lord enables and, and empowers. And I said before, who the Lord appoints, the Lord anoints. And we were going to see the anointing of those that he appointed. So let's take a look here, and we're going to venture into Luke chapter 9. I'm going to be starting us off in verses 1 through 9. And if you have a Bible, feel free to follow along with me, but I'm going to read it to you right now. As it says, Then he called his twelve disciples together, and gave them power and authority over all demons. And, and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead. And by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. These were twelve ordinary men that the Lord brought together from, from different backgrounds. The, the appointed anointed. Backgrounds of different professions. Fisherman, a doctor, a tax collector, bean counter, which was like a form of an accountant. They, they came from all these different backgrounds brought together into one fold and empowered for the same purpose. See, their time with the Lord and his, and his power allowed them to have power over all these things in which only he can give. It's not on our own accord, but it's by his will and second by his power that we have those things. And, and with that comes special instruction. He, he said to travel light. And for many reasons, it allowed them not to be hindered by possessions. And also in Jewish customs, you know, rabbis would not enter the temple with money bags or sandals even, especially dusty sandals. But a lot of these could be found, uh, these particular rules that Jesus said to them, these particular things could actually be found as a rule in the Jewish Talmud, which was the Talmud was kind of like their book of instruction. And as they were traveling, they were given advice that was actually beneficial to be effective in their preaching, which was the main mission of their calling. 
the empowering of healing and casting out demons and such was going to be dealt with on their journey as well, but so would rejection and opposition. Uh, which is where the dusting off of the sandals came in when Jesus said to dust off the sandals when you leave that city. Again, it was a tradition. You know, we wipe our shoes on a mat before entering a house because we don't want to track in the dirt. See, the Jews would shake dust off their sandals when they were in an area that was not a godly place because they didn't want to bring in the dirt from that place to drag it into the holy city. It, it was also a way of someone saying that I'm actually done with this person, move on to the next. See, it doesn't matter where it's at from a geographical standpoint because the need for Christ is everywhere. The question is, is how much of a want for him is the other question. The need for him is the same from the, from the wealthiest to the poorest of areas. But how much of a want of Christ is the question. See, like Herod Antipas, this, who was, this was the son of Herod the Great, this was the son of, of his father, Herod the Great, was the one, when Jesus was born, he was the one who had all of the male babies killed in the area when Christ was born because he had heard that the Messiah, the king of the Jews, was born. And then we had Herod Antipas, his son, who we, just, who we were just reading about, had John the Baptist beheaded. So at first they were mistaken, okay? They were mistaken Christ as John when they, when they seen him out there. They, there could have been somewhat of a resemblance. So they mistaken him as John the Baptist back from the dead. Some people uh, thought that it was Elijah the prophet. And Herod Antipas wanted to see him personally, but see for all the wrong reasons. Now later on they ended up meeting, he ended up getting to meet him firsthand at the crucifixion later on. But again, this was part of the opposition that the Lord was warning the disciples on. The Herods, you know, these guys, they didn't like, they didn't like those who got attention over them. Yeah, perhaps he might have been losing sleep at night due to his, uh, his wife's request of, of the head of John the Baptist. So a guilty conscience is now possibly bringing concern to him. It very well could be possible. But nonetheless, the word was out on the miraculous abilities. And Luke continues in these diverse writings of that, as we will see uh, now a well-known miracle in the Lord's doing, which we're going to see in verse 10 now, as we venture through uh, uh, verses 10 through 20 in chapter 9. And it says, And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we, in a, we are in a deserted place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy some uh, food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And then he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so, and made them all sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And twelve baskets of the leftover fragments were tw uh, taken up by them. And it happened as he, he was alone praying. 
the, his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, But who do you say I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. Peter, who was known for not always saying the right things, you know, he proclaimed the truth out of them all. Yeah, what a blessing to see such a multitude follow the Lord, though. To not just receive things, but to hear the good word of the kingdom of God. But, but in the Lord's heart, you know, he's concerned with our needs and, and the needs of his followers. Uh, they're with him. I love the quote from Deuteronomy that Jesus used against Satan during the temptation. That man shall not live on bread alone, but on the very word of God. And the people here were visibly hungry, but more so for Christ. We too must remember the importance of the Lord and the bread of life which he gives. It would have been something to see how, how such a miracle could have happened here, okay? But over time, I would have rather been there to hear what was said to the multitude as I've grown more in the Lord. As Jesus asked, you know, who do they say I am? A couple of opinions were given. John the Baptist, Elijah the prophet. But Peter, he answered right because he walked with Christ and he knew him best. They knew where to find him when uh, he went somewhere. And when they did, he himself was praying. And from the heart, as the continual study of the Gospels and, and hearing his words and seeing his heart... I just want to come to a place to simply spend time with him. And by that, we can know him more and more. And the importance of worship is vital to a Christian. The disciples worshiped the Lord, which was what made them disciples. To spend time with him and to spend it just telling him how much we love him, you know. To cherish the time with him on earth and, and desire to be with him in eternity. That is pleasing to the Lord. You know, just as Peter's answer was pleasing, so is our recognition of who he is. And when we truly recognize who he is, how could we not worship and desire to be with him as he desires to be with us? Again, always convicting, is it not, to know that our Lord, how much he loves us compared to how much other people might love him back. What can we get out of him, you know? What can I get out of this relationship with him if I do follow him? Is normally the unfortunate uh, circumstance. But how encouraging it was to see that 5,000 people, more than that even, because in other, the other Gospels it says that the 5,000 men and their wives, their children were there. Were there just to simply be with him and to hear him. Yes, they were hungry. But, you know, we didn't see or hear any complaints like they did in the, in the desert when they were with Moses, right? Jesus was there and knew it and, and had the compassion. And he provided. He provided physically and more than anything, he provided spiritually. As man shall not live by bread alone, as he gave the bread of life, which is the word of God. What a blessing as always. And let's take a look at verse 21 to see what he does now. In verses 21 to 26. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes 
and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. And the disciples were to know who he was, but the religious leaders were to find out after the death and resurrection. He was already persecuted by the leaders, but he knew as the time went on that it would get worse. In fact, he always reminded those who followed him that they too would actually suffer. And that at times was part of, uh, again, part of discipleship, you know, denying oneself and taking up the cross and, and to do it daily. Jesus gave a picture of what was to come for him because he literally was going to carry the cross. Literally. You know, crosses were, were, were not taken up. People were placed upon them for crimes. And we all have iniquities which we can place on the cross because of what he did. Jesus' example was that of the most selfless person who ever lived of denying oneself. And the call to deny ourselves was for all people who received the Lord. See, imagine the world around you where everyone has a deep desire to serve one another, to care for one another more than ourselves. What a difference that would make in this world, would it not? That is what real life was to be in the Lord's eyes. To not be ashamed of him and his words are to receive the glorious gifts of God. And we all want to be spoken well of, right? We all want to be accepted. But we must be in sync with our Lord if we want him to speak for us. The kingdom of God must always be God-centered, not man-centered. And by that you will see what a meaning of life really is. You know, outside of these temporary joys of what the world may offer, the world can steal and destroy what it gives even quicker than what it offers. And there's always a price that we pay for those things versus the gifts of our Lord, who gave, who gave it to us free of charge. And free to us as he paid the ultimate price for the gifts that will not perish, as we're going to see now in the Lord's glory of verses 27. And we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 36. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days after the sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in the glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, while he was saying this, a cloud came over and overshadowed, 
overshadowed uh, shouted them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Now, as we end here at verses 36 for this part one series, as we see this was Peter's most personal and memorable moments. Uh, he was there with Moses and Elijah and with the Messiah. But, you know, he got a glimpse of his future presence, of our, the future presence of our Lord, which will be seen in heaven. Uh, the glorious presence of Christ in heaven. But Moses and Elijah were noticed as well. Now, keep in mind that Peter and John, they had never seen them as they were. Or, uh, Moses and Elijah, they were around hundreds of years before the Lord was on earth even. Now, it didn't say why they were there, but Peter didn't want it to end. And let's build three tabernacles, one for each of you, so we can dwell right here. And, and well, as amazing as that was, it was only temporary. See, the best was to come in eternity. They couldn't minister to anyone on a mountaintop, you see. So it was important for them to witness the transfiguration. And it was important for them to hear the voice of God reminding him who they were standing in front of. Hear him, God said. Because he was the final authority. And if someone's teaching is true, it will agree with the teachings of Christ. Simply because he repeated what God taught and came down in the image of man because God's presence on earth could not be seen by man and survive. We know that because God told Moses that himself on Mount Sinai when, when Moses had asked God when he was talking with him, he says, let me see you. Can I see your face? And God himself says, I cannot show you me in my full glory here on earth because it will literally kill you. So Moses had to hide in, in the back of a cave and God had to cover him up. And he says, I will swoop through the land and you could get a glimpse of my back. And so Moses got somewhat of a glimpse of that. And just by that alone, Moses' face was shining so bright that when he came back down from the mountain, he was blinding everyone. He had to cover himself with a veil. Well, see, the Lord Jesus was covered in a veil too. He was covered in the, in the veil of a human body. He was covered in the veil of, of, a, of a servant, of a man, in order to reach the people on earth as who he was. He could not come down as God. And, and because nobody would be able to withstand the presence of God on earth. So he could not come down in the full glory. His identity was made known and the voice of God confirmed that identity. If we believe in who he is, then may we believe in what he says. Because people say, I'm a man of my word. Well, may, may we be men or women of the word. Not of our word, but of the word. Because Jesus was the word who became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And this was part of the birth of the name of this ministry, a voice in the distance, his voice in the distance, coming to us which impacts us. And nothing is more powerful than our Lord Jesus. And nothing is more pleasant than our Lord Jesus. And the ability to find out for yourself can be done by receiving him as Lord and Savior. And by doing that, I'm talking about receiving him 
in the form of everlasting life. See, as I mentioned before, when people gave their insight of what the Lord was about, He didn't just simply come here just to make us better people. Because that obviously will never be the case until we're with Him in His glory in heaven. We're always going to constantly be imperfect. He didn't just simply come here to do a few miracles to impress the crowds. He didn't just come here to, you know, just kind of be friends with people and so on and so forth and, and, and to kind of dangle the carrot in front of them to, to show them a better time here. You know, if, there's been so many outlooks. There's been so many different opinions. But the Word of God gives us the facts. And the facts were that He came to die for the sins of this world. But while He was here, He was doing all of those things for a short period of time for the sake of making Himself known as who He said He was. He came down here and He did all of those things. He taught us taught us in in the most perfect of ways. He healed people. He fellowshiped with them. He fed them. He did all these different things. But in the greatest of all, he came down for that one purpose, to bring everlasting life. And he said that whoever shall believe in me shall have everlasting life. I always say that I cannot guarantee what the rest of your life will be here on earth. Whether it be with Him or without Him, we will face trials. But I'd rather face it with Him than without Him. We're going to have great times, we're going to have blessings. But I'd rather have that with him than without him. Because I want to be able to thank the one who gave me those blessings. And I want to invite you to be able to say the same thing and to have the same thing. Eternal life, most of all. By receiving him as Lord and Savior. Seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else will be added to you. And whatever that is, I don't know. You're going to have to find out. And you're going to have to find out by faith. So if you're willing, and if you feel led, say this prayer after me in order to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Father Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And Lord, I ask of you to cleanse me and wash me of all of my sins. As Lord, as I receive you, is my Lord, my Savior, and my Father. And Lord, may you receive me into your kingdom, Lord, when my time is up, Lord. As I am now, Lord, one of your children, and you are my Father. And I love you, Lord, and I thank you for dying for my sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I want to thank you again for being a part of 
this ministry. And I want to thank you most of all for accepting the Lord because that is the greatest thing that you could ever do. So what more could we want, right? What more could we want other than to be with Him in eternity, in heaven, in which He created for for us? So may you follow Him with diligence and with truth and with love. And may you stay the course. May God bless and keep you always.